Welcome in to episode 34 of the Whoopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Episode 34 is brought to you by University Traditions. Go check out their hat designs, and you can even use promo code VSN15 to receive 15% off your first order, thanks to Variety Sports Network. So go check them out today. We'll jump right in as SEC Media Days for SEC football will be coming up in the next week, and we now know who's going to represent Arkansas along with Coach Pittman. Along with Coach Pittman, players quarterback K.J. Jefferson, running back Rocket Sanders, and defensive end, defensive line Landon Jackson will be making their way to Nashville to represent Arkansas at SEC Media Day. So, you know, what do you think we're going to get from these guys and Coach Pittman at the SEC Media Days this year? Man, I, it, it always depends on who's asking the questions on what you kind of end up getting. But I, I think there'll be a lot of enthusiasm. I think there's a lot of excitement from these guys. I mean, there's a reason they, they picked them to travel. Obviously, KJ and Rocket are, are your your big returning guys on the offense. Um, so no surprise that they're there. Um, then realistically, I mean, we've talked about him in some episodes in the past, but Landon Jackson really has the potential to kind of step up and, and in a sense lead the defense this year. I know Chris – Chris Paul's kind of got that opportunity as well on the in the uh oh golly can't linebackers position. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see Landon Jackson kind of step up into that leadership type role already. You can kind of tell that that's kind of where that's shaping out with him being one of the guys picked to go to SEC Media Days. So uh that's not really a huge surprise to me there. So definitely excited for those three guys. I know it's gonna be a lot of fun and kind of curious to see what questions they get asked and what their responses are. You never really know. That's true. And I always can't wait to hear what, what kind of quotes that, you know, Sam Pittman decides to throw out there in media days and, you know, people love to hear his quotes and, you know, what he has to say. So I'll be looking forward to that. And like you said, you know, all these guys kind of no brainers on bringing to SEC media days, you know, like you said, KJ and Rocket, our returners guys, kind of our headline of the team. Then you've got Landon Jackson, kind of a guy that everybody's hoping for a breakout season, you know, this year as you know, I think we saw glimpses last year, but not necessarily a full season put together. So, you know, with how things went through spring practice and guys raved about him, you know, we'll see what happens. So we'll jump over to some Arkansas basketball news where we're going to cover some former Arkansas players in NBA Summer League that's going on right now. First guy we'll talk about is Jalen Williams from two years ago. He's a guy that he's in his second season with Memphis or with Oklahoma City. And on July 5th, took on the Memphis Grizzlies, where he played for 27 minutes, had 12 points, where he went 4 of 11 from the field, 2 of 7 from the three-point line, 2 of 2 from the free-throw line, added in four rebounds, three assists, one steal, and three blocks. And then on July 8th versus the Dallas Mavericks, he went 26 minutes, scoring nine points on 4 of 8 from the field, 1 of 4 from the three-point line, and missing his only free-throw attempt where he also put up seven rebounds, three assists, one block, and two steals. I always love watching him play. Um, it's, it's He's getting a lot of praise from the Oklahoma City Thunders fan base and just their uh, their uh, management team and everything. He's They've done a really good job kind of marketing the the two Jalen Williams on their team. and they've, they've had a lot of funny interactions on social medias and stuff like that. So it's good to see him getting minutes, you know, in summer league and everything. I think he's solidified himself as a as a key piece of that team. They've got a lot of young talent. We've talked about him before. Um, that that whole team has a lot of young talent. But his name is always tossed around whenever you hear 
you know, any mention of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So it's it's good to see him get his recognition and obviously, you know, get some some minutes in summer league to kind of get tuned back up and ready to go for the, the regular season. I think the big thing for me is the, the stat last year of where, you know, as a rookie, he led the league in charges, charges taken with 43, I believe, and not an entire full season, just in, you know, the season he had between getting called up and, you know, sent back down to the Thunder G League team, you know, that's crazy to see. So I'm interested to see if he increases on those numbers this year. Yeah, I I, I don't know if he'll increase necessarily um, like a, as a per game number, but uh, obviously if he's, he's, if he's able to play more games, um, things like that, which I think he will. I think that's kind of the the path that's that's getting shaping up is, you know, just the volume of games he'll be able to play is going to increase that number. Um, he's just – he's such a smart basketball player. It's it's hard to think that he's not going to find his way to get significant minutes. I mean, he's a great ball handler and facilitator as a big, which is, you know, pretty – Pretty impressive, and it's it's quickly kind of becoming one of those things that if you have a guy like that on your team in the NBA, um, you can kind of shape yourself up for more success than other teams have. I mean, you look at teams like the Nuggets, for example, with the Joker, and Philadelphia with uh, uh, Embiid. I mean, guys that are, you know, good with the ball that can score but can also kind of facilitate around themselves as well. And I think he's got a lot of potential to do that if he keeps improving his game and keeps improving that three-point shot. Yeah. And now we'll jump over to Nick Smith, who is got drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. And so we'll see how the rest of Summer League goes out for him so far. It's been, in my opinion, up and down as we go through his stats here. So on July 5th, he, he took on the Golden State Warriors, where he played 29 minutes, scored 14 points, where he went 6 of 13 from the field, 1 of 4 from the three-point line, and 1 of 1 from the free throw line, added in five rebounds and four assists. And then on July 7th versus San Antonio, he played 22 minutes where he scored four points and went two for 10 from the field, 0 for four on the three-point line, no free throws attempted, had seven rebounds, three assists, and one block. And then on July 9th, took on the Lakers, LA Lakers, with 26 minutes played with 11 points, three of 10 from the field, three of seven from the three-point line, two of four from the free-throw line with one rebound, two assists, and one block. I mean, you kind of said it there. Just it's it's up and down in a sense. I think he's still kind of struggling to find his shot rhythm. I mean, the the shooting percentages aren't the best. They're not just horrible, but they're really not great either. He, he definitely had a rough night against San Antonio. Um, but I mean, he had seven boards that game, so it's not like he was wasting minutes out there. I mean, he was finding ways to be effective on the glass. Had three assists and a block, so he, he he's getting. He's getting involved. Um, I'll say that. I think the the rhythm will come. I I do think the the learning curve for him going to the NBA, especially with the the amount of time he was not able to play in college. I mean, he had some some good games with the Hogs, but he missed a lot of the season. And I think if he would have been able to play a full season, you know, he just he would have been that much more NBA ready um, just from the competition level he was used to face. And I think the the learning curve is going to be pretty steep for him. So. Wish him nothing but the best. I think I think those shooting percentages will improve, though. I really do. And we'll hop over to Ricky Council, the fourth, who signed a two-way contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. 
On July 5th, he took on Utah, where he played 30 minutes, scored 14 points on 5 of 13 from the field, 0 of 3 from the three-point line, and 4 of 4 from the free-throw line, where he chipped in three rebounds, five assists, one steal, and three blocks. On July 6th, took on Oklahoma City Thunder, so he played against Jalen Williams that we just spoke about. He played 27 minutes. Scored eight points, two of eight from the field, 0 of two from the three-point line, and four of five from the free-throw line. Had two rebounds and two assists. On July 9th, took on the New York Knicks, where he played 28 minutes. Scored 14 points on five of 11 from shooting from the field, 0 of two from the three-point line, and four of five from the free-throw line. Also added in eight rebounds and one assist and one block. And then on July 10th, took on the Dallas Mavericks, where he played 26 minutes. He had nine points, two of four from the field, 0 of one from the three-point line, five of five from the free throw line, added in five rebounds and one assist. So he's out here, you know, playing a decent chunk of minutes and, you know, playing, in my opinion, very consistently uh, throughout these first four games in summer league. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think Ricky's going to – I think he's eventually going to kind of learn that, hey, you know, my game is probably not shooting threes. Obviously, he's had a really rough four-game stretch where he hadn't been able to put in a single three. And I, I think the more he evolves his game, I think he, he'll either just avoid those altogether and kind of be one of those mid-range slash slasher type players, you know, kind of um, Dwayne Wade style type guard that not not really known for hitting threes. Um Sean Livingston really sticks out to me as somebody that was just deadly from mid-range. Wasn't necessarily a high flyer like Ricky has the potential to be, but it, I think he could really kind of find his niche in that kind of style of play. Obviously, he's a, a fairly automatic from the free throw line. Um, that's definitely one thing that's a huge plus in my in my mind for his game with the way he's able to get to the rim, potentially draw fouls. So being able to make your free throws is obviously a, a help, but he's – He's definitely an athlete. The guy gets involved, does it all. Um, he's had some really good highlight dunks for the Philly. So that that's definitely been one thing that I've seen some fan posts around is just his ability to to high fly around the rim is always exciting to watch. So I wish him nothing but the best. I think he's been really kind of proving his worth already. Yeah. And I, I think we'll just continue to see that. And I think his, his, this first season he'll have, well, I think it would be majorly spent with the G League team. We'll see if he gets the call up to play a few games actually with the 76ers. But that, as you said, time will tell on that. Then we'll jump over to Jordan Walsh, who was drafted by the Boston Celtics. On July 8th, they took on the Miami Heat, where he played 31 minutes. Scored 18 points as the leading score for the Celtics this game. Had shot six of 11 from the field, four of six from the three-point line where he started four of four, and two for two from the free throw line, added in five rebounds, two steals, and one block. And then on July 9th, took on the Washington Wizards where he played 27 minutes. He scored 12 points, went four of 14 from the field, one of six from the three-point line, and three of four from the free throw line. Added in two rebounds, three assists, and one steal. So he's a guy that I think the thing that stands out most to me is these first two summer league games, he's shooting the a lot the ball a lot more than he ever did at Arkansas. And you can see for good reason, you know, he's putting up 18 points, 12 points, you know, 
knocking him down from deep. So I'm interested to see as he continues to to develop how much of a threat he becomes from outside. Yeah, I've already seen some uh, some different analyst hot takes that Jordan could have been one of the steals of the draft, just the way he was able to perform in that, that game one. I mean, obviously it's early, but the way he's already kind of made strides just in his three-point shot, it, it even looks a little bit more crisp on his release from what everybody's been saying. Um, I mean, it, it's what's it been just a few months of development, you know, just kind of across the summer. So everybody's saying that his development has – been exponential already I mean and he's you know we're just a couple weeks into summer league and and just a few months you know since him playing college ball so that's always exciting to see you know he's phenomenal defender um got great length so he fits in well with kind of the Celtics bread and butter if if that makes sense so him being able to knock down those three-point shots and be a lockdown defender is I mean he's going to find minutes if he's able to do that successfully so I'm excited to see that for him for sure Agreed. I think his high energy and high motor is what's going to help him, you know, really compete for playing time. And especially, you know, I could see him being one of those three and D guys that, you know, has some lockdown defense and come out, can come out and also hit, hit shots when you need him to. And so now we'll jump over to Anthony Black, the highest pick in the draft where he went sixth overall to the Orlando Magic. His first game in summer league on July 8th, he took on the Detroit Pistons where he played 28 minutes, scored 17 points, where he shot 7 of 10 from the field, 1 of 2 from the three-point line, and 2 of 3 from the free-throw line. He added in 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 steals. And in his second game on July 10th versus Indiana, he played 27 minutes, scored 8 points, went 3 of 12 from the field, 0 of 2 from the three-point line, and 2 of 6 from the free-throw line. He added in 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 steals as well. So, you know, Pretty consistent numbers here for A.B. as well. You know, he came out and, you know, that game one, I think, showed, you know, what they were getting when he was drafted. Yeah, I I think, I mean, he only had 28 minutes that game, which is, you know, not not bad at all. But, you know, think about 17 points on 7 for 10 shooting. I mean, he was on fire that game. You you play a full 40-minute kind of stretch there. and I mean, it's a 30-point game nearly. but obviously he's Orlando's extremely high on Anthony Black. I mean, I've seen nothing but praise for him. They were excited to get him. I think he's gonna be an instant impact guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, starting nearly um by the beginning of the regular season. He's just that kind of player. The toughness, the size, the ability to kind of run the floor. I mean Anthony Black definitely has it all as far as that goes. And I think he's only kind of like some of these other guys, he's only going to get better as he has more, you know, opportunity to develop in the NBA environment. It's just the sky's the limit for AB. Yeah. And I think this is a team that with AB as he develops and, you know, the already, you know, great player they have from last year, Paolo Banchero, you know, pairing those two guys together could be a deadly combination with both of them have the ability to slash and then kick out the ball, whether it to be to each other or somebody else on that magic team. But, you know, they're building a young core there that who knows in a few years, they could be up there in that contender watch for the title. Yeah. um, The, the young core they've got there around Anthony black, Paolo Banchero. I've I've always, (laughs) as much as I hated to watch Banchero um, kind of, tear us apart a little bit when he was at Duke. He was definitely fun to watch. So they've definitely got some talent to build around there at Orlando. 
Yeah, and that's true. And I think it will just be, you know, a wait and see situation with them as they are a young team. And so we'll jump over to Stanley Mude from a couple of years ago on that team with Jalen Williams, where he's currently playing with the Detroit Pistons, where on July 8th took on the Orlando Magic, so played against Anthony Black. He played 16 minutes, had three points, one of three from the field, one of three from the three-point line, two rebounds, two assists, and two blocks. And then on July 9th versus Houston, played 16 minutes with scoring eight points, going three of eight from the field, two of six from the three-point line, three rebounds and one assist. So a guy that I think is still looking to find his spot on in the league with, with the Pistons, you know, that is still, I think, continuing to develop. Yeah, I always liked his game. He he was an underrated defender, in my opinion. Um, so I, I think if he can kind of just develop into his own from an offensive standpoint, I think the minutes will find him. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's it's a tough league to to make your way in, man. There's there's an influx of young talent. It just being able to kind of break through. Um, the horde, if that makes sense, and kind of be one of those guys that stands out that does get called up, um, that that carves out a roster spot. It's that's definitely a hard thing to accomplish. But wish these guys nothing but the best, man. I mean, every everybody we listed here has definitely got their work cut out for them. Um, but man, it's definitely exciting to see this this many young players coming out of the U of A and and kind of vying for that success in the NBA. So wish them nothing but the best. Very true. So now we'll bounce over to Arkansas baseball as the major league draft just wrapped up today as it started on Sunday with the first couple rounds here. And so we'll first start to cover the Arkansas signees. So kids out of high school that have signed to play at Arkansas, not committed, but signed to play at Arkansas and kind of waited to see where they're drafted at before deciding to come to campus. And so Arkansas had, Six of its freshmen taken in the top 10 rounds, most meaning most of those guys will be not make it to campus and will go ahead and start their pro career. The highest drafted guys, you have third baseman Aiden Miller, who went in the first round to the Phillies. You have outfielder Kendall George go first round to the Dodgers. Shortstop Nazan Zanatello go in the second round to the Red Sox. You had shortstop Walker Martin go in the second round to the Giants. You had right-handed pitcher Dylan Quested go in the fifth round to the Twins. Right-handed pitcher Barrett Kent go the eighth, go in the eighth round to the Angels. And then one of the guys we talked about in a previous episode as far as a transfer that committed to Arkansas, right-handed pitcher Craig Yoho went in the eighth round to the Brewers as well. So most of those guys you can figure 95% they're going to be in the league. I, you know, I don't see why they would end up on campus unless they just really had a desire to play college ball. But, you know, especially these four that were drafting those top two rounds, those guys are going to go ahead and start making millions of dollars as they got drafted in high spots there. And so what do you, what's your take on these guys that got drafted, these signees? Well, I, I think it's expected. Um, I think everybody, you know, understood that Aiden Miller, Kendall George, and then Zanatello, I, I think everybody understood that those three guys, very likely weren't making it to campus. I heard some give and take around Walker Martin. I think it was basically just people kind of trying to have wishful thinking, I guess, if that makes sense. I, I highly doubt any of these guys come to campus. I, as, as awesome as that would be, um, I think 
Peyton Stovall is the outlier, not the norm. You know, because Stovall could have been a very similar situation to these. Um, so, anyways, I don't want to get too far into the conjecture side of it, but I definitely think you know these guys are going to make the decision that's best for them. Wouldn't blame them one bit for for not coming. Would love to have them, but completely understand the whole situation. Wish them nothing but the best there. But I think everybody needs to be real when it comes to you know some of these high high caliber you know high school players that sign with the Hogs. It doesn't mean you're going to get them that needs to be a realistic expectation pretty much every year. Cause I mean, we're going to be able to sign some of the best out there. It just doesn't always mean they're going to make it to the Hill though. And that's true. And like you said, we wish these kids the best luck as they get their pro career started. Now we'll kind of turn on to the other side of the page where Arkansas players that had the option to return that were taken in the draft. The highest one here is Jackson Wiggins. He went set in the second round to the Cubs you know, it seems like the Cubs have liked their Arkansas players in the past few years. And then you had Hunter Holling go in the third round to the Reds. Tavian Yosenberger taken in the third round by the Orioles. Jace Borfin taken in the sixth round by the Blue Jays. Jared Wagner taken in the ninth round by the Yankees. Cody Adcock in the 13th round by the Reds. And Caleb Cowley in the 16th round by the Mariners. I think the one that stands out to me here is I'm shocked that Jace Borfin fell all the way to the sixth round here, you know, compared to, you know, you see Yosenberger go in the third round. So what's your take on these players that had the option to turn getting drafted here? Yeah. I, the, the Borfin situation was a little surprising to me too. Um, I, I almost think it may be a little bit skewed because I think Josenberger maybe went a little bit higher than some folks expected. So maybe there's a little bit of give and take there, but I definitely expected Jace to go maybe a bit higher I don't know if maybe his age has something to do with it. I, I that you could just flip a coin and just guess um, as to why he maybe fell because I thought he had a pretty outstanding season and he's really shown you know his his patience at the plate and he's a he's a playmaker in the outfield. I'm I know he's maybe not quite as speedy as Tavian and maybe that's some of the the difference there. But it's not like he's slow or unathletic by any stretch. So. I was a little shocked to see that as well. I actually thought Hunter Holland going in the third round. I thought he maybe went a little bit higher than I expected in my head. I, close, but I, I don't know, you know, kind of somewhere in that third, fourth round. Um, but I'm curious to see what Hunter Holland's decision is going to be next. I know he was one of the the players that definitely teased the return um, to Arkansas. So I, with him going in the third, I, I am not 100% sure what the money looks like there. I don't know. Um, but he's definitely going to have some tough decisions to to work through for sure. I've, obviously, all these guys are, but. Yeah, I think he's a guy that, you know, I think, unfortunately, in my opinion, we'll see him go just because a team, in my opinion, is not going to use a third round pick on a on this guy to not have him for sure, knowing he's going to come to the organization but who knows you know like we said he was teased that he could be back in Ridgeback uniform next year so we'll kind of have to await that decision and see I think the timeline for players to sign is the end of July that beginning of August date is when they kind of I think the deadline for players to kind of agree sign on contracts and, and that type of thing and so now we'll look at Arkansas signees that didn't get drafted that are going to for sure make it to campus um, we have for two two guys for sure. I mean, we can assume the rest of that freshman class will make it to campus, but these are two guys that have already you know publicly said they're coming to Arkansas. You have right-handed pitcher Gabe Geckel, 
who was taken in the 20th round, but he already said he was coming to Arkansas. So I think, you know, he's going to come try to develop some to be a higher draft pick later down, later down the road in his career. And then another guy is left-handed pitcher Tucker Holland. He was ranked perfect games number 12 left-handed pitcher in the 2023 class. He's the guy that is coming to Arkansas, and we most likely won't see him pitch until the 2025 season. As he, I believe I saw he tore his UCL, so he's having to have that repaired and will be rehabbing this entire next season to get ready for, you know, end of maybe end of next year we might see him. But from what I've seen, I've heard 2025 is when we'll actually get to see him on the mound. I was excited just to get Tucker Holland, man. I, I There's been a lot of uh, high praise around him. I, obviously, the injury issue, I think, probably had some form of effect on him not even getting drafted. Um, but I, I definitely am excited to have him post-recovery. Hopefully, he's still the same guy. But I've heard lots of good things about Tucker Holland all over social media and stuff. So I think everybody's kind of excited to get him on the hill and the development that he'll be able to get, even even while he's injured, just being around the the program, being around Coach Hobbs, some of the other pitchers there. I, I can't imagine that's going to hurt anything as far as development goes. Um, so that that's definitely a good thing to see some of these young guys want to come. Obviously, the the draft situation has some some play on that, but it's definitely an exciting time. That's true. And and like you said, you know, with him, I think the injury really played a big factor into him deciding to come to Arkansas, especially, you know, with him withdrawing from the draft and everything like that. And then so we'll kind of flip to the other side of that page there where we have Arkansas players that could have gotten drafted but didn't get drafted and will make their return. You know, we have one for one for sure confirmed as Will McIntyre will be back again. Another year of Big Mac is going to be in the 2023 season so I'm excited to have him back here he's a guy that you know I think we saw play a lot of key innings for Arkansas last year and I think he'll kind of fill that similar role next year as maybe beginning of the season kind of play that starter weekend starter role but at down the stretch I think we'll see him turn into that long reliever again where he played at a lot of the a lot towards the end of the season so what's your take on Will McIntyre coming back well, I was excited to see that for sure. Um, I thought he had some of the, the most clutch performances out of a lot of our pitchers. Um, I, some bad outings here and there, but that's going to happen. Uh, but he was always reliable. It was, it was cool to see him pitch that uh, complete game against Eastern Illinois, I remember, if I remember correctly. Um, so definitely excited to have him back. I, I think he'll provide a lot of veteran leadership in the bullpen or in the starting lineup, No, you know, kind of no matter where he's needed. I think he's kind of proven that he can be, you know, another one of those wild card type pitchers that wherever you need him to pitch, he can pitch and be successful. So it's always good to have those guys in your staff. That's true. And so now guys that, you know, didn't get drafted, could have the option to come back next year. A few guys that we'll talk about is Peyton Holt. He didn't get drafted. So he's going to be a guy that will be back for Arkansas. And I think we'll play a peak key play a key piece on next year's roster and you have the other one that is a surprise to me is you have Zach Morris that wasn't taken in the draft and he has a super senior year that he can come back and play for Arkansas which before the draft indicated that you know that was an option for him and so I think part of behind him not getting drafted even in the later rounds is you know 
he didn't necessarily have the best year this year. He kind of turned the corner near the end of the year around postseason time. But throughout the regular season, really struggled, you know, to get command on the mound throughout several games that he appeared in. So, you know, do you think we see a return from Zach Morris next year? I would I would likely say so. Uh, just it just makes sense um, in my mind. I I really hope he can come in and put together a full season of his caliber of pitching that we've seen him play to. I just if if we could get that out of him, I think it would be you know obviously incredible for everybody involved. You know he'd be able to showcase what he's able to do, um, and then just having that extra depth whether it's a bullpen role or whatever the case may be. I know he started a couple games off and on, um, some midweek games if I remember right. But anyways, just having some extra depth and somebody that's reliable, that's kind of got that veteran mentality, similar you know, to Will McIntyre or something like that, that's never a bad thing to have. So I'm, I would I would anticipate him coming back, frankly, um, unless he's got something lined up, you know, outside of baseball, professional career-wise. I mean, there, there could always be that. Um, you know, an opportunity like that out there for him that we're not aware of. So my my gut feeling would be that, that he'll be back, though. So that's a game we'll have to wait and see, including him and, you know, some of these other signees as, you know, we'll wait to see over this next few weeks of July and to, as we get to August what guys' decisions are. You know, I think a lot of these guys we'll see won't be back. And as kids start getting to campus and they're starting to prep for fall ball as, you know, you will have football going on and everything like that, but it'll be interesting to see what this roster is going to look like once we get close to baseball season starting up. And so we'll take a quick break here and we'll be back to let you know who we have on our hog talk segment this week. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams and in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the Clutch Apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wide. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at intheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. All right, we're back here now, and we've got an exciting guest for our Hog Talk segment this week. And, you know, I think it's a pretty big guest for us as, you know, as we've continued to grow this show. So the, this week's guest coached Arkansas from 1998 to 2007, went 75 and 48 while coaching at Arkansas, took Arkansas to eight bowl games in 10 seasons and perfected the Wild Hog offense. So get ready to welcome to this week's Hog Talk segment, former Arkansas coach Houston Nutt. All right, we're excited to welcome to this week's episode and segment of Hog Talk, former Arkansas coach Houston Nutt. So let's start with you, Coach. Personally, how's life going? What are you up to these days? Yeah, uh, appreciate y'all having me on, first of all. And, uh, hey, everything's going good. I got two grandsons now, and I understand. I, I kind of know what the all the fuss is about. I didn't. I didn't know, realize that everybody used to show me their picture of their grandchildren. But until somebody hold, hands you your own, man, that's a whole different deal. So uh, excited about that, 
and um, um, it's amazing how fast the summers always go. I always remember, you know, once July hits, after Fourth of July, it's kind of like the bell that's going off for for fall football. Seems like time flies way too fast nowadays. I've uh, just in my professional career and stuff, uh, don't get as much time off as you used to back in the school days. I'm still fairly young, so that's kind of what I revert back to in my in my mind. And uh, golly. Every time I turn around, it's a whole nother year, and everybody keeps telling me it gets faster and faster the older you get. And man, that just sounds horrible. But well, <laughs> definitely no, understand where you're coming that's, from. That's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. So we'll start taking a walk down memory lane here and kind of walk us through you getting hired at Arkansas as the head coach back, you know, when you first got the job. I think 1998, uh, never forget it. Uh, I'd, I'd gone four years at Murray State as a head coach, one year. At Boise State, they made the tradition uh, tr uh, transition from one double A to Division One, and uh, they loved football out there in, in Boise and thought we'd be there a long time. But lo and behold, you know, Coach Royals called, and his dream come true. And as a little boy and growing up in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, I knew every Razorback uh, name and number, their height, weight. I always saw the games in Little Rock. And my dad would take uh, myself and my three little brothers, and we were we were always there. So to fast forward, you always, you had to dream, but you never would, you never did really think that one day I'd be a head coach at the University of Arkansas. So that was a dream come true when Coach Bull called me at Boise and says, hey, got great news for you. I want you to come lead lead our program. And so it was a, a really a great time. And I remember walking in that room, that first meeting room and Brandon Burlesworth, Clint Sterner, Anthony Lucas, Ryan Hale, Zach Painter, Kenoy Kennedy, uh, Bobby Williams, Jodine Davenport, Zach Painter, I can name them all. But I never will forget asking Lewis Campbell and Dean Weber who had been there. And I held them, they were still with me on staff. And I said, what am I missing? What do you mean? I mean, they look good. Have I been away from SEC ball where I don't know what's going on? Because I see these guys that are big and strong and tall and got length, got speed. And I remember Dean Weber saying, "Well, they've they had one, and they don't they don't have much confidence. Four and seven, four and seven, last two years, and you're in the SEC. You know, there's no give me's. And so, you know, I didn't know. I just didn't know. I was cautious, but I was so excited about that team and how hard uh, they were willing to work. And so that was an exciting time in 1998 because I felt like we really put some life in the program. The, the program had kind of gone lifeless there a little bit. Looking at the the films from the previous season, I noticed the stadium wasn't full. And it really bothered me when it wasn't full that last game in Little Rock when I think they played South Carolina. Uh, seemed like it's barely 20,000 people in the stands. And so uh, I knew that we had to regain the confidence of our fans. And I know how good our fans are, but it was just a, a, a great time and an exciting time. That's awesome to hear, man. I uh, Unfortunately, I think I was – four or five years old um, back in 98. So I, I, I barely remember those days. I remember being a hog fan because my whole family were, you know, was fans, but I, I don't remember the the details and unfortunately don't remember all the, the cool things that happened with, with Brandon Burlesworth and, and how impactful his story was. Um, but definitely kind of growing up into becoming a hog fan that, that kept up with the players more and more, you know, there towards the, the last couple of years, uh, especially, you know, obviously 2004, 2005, Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, those guys. Um, was recruiting those guys 
difficult? You know, obviously McFadden being a hometown kid. I mean, can you walk us through that recruiting process whenever you were getting some of those classes in later on in your career here? You bet. Uh, Darren McFadden, of course, was a homegrown. Danny, my brother, the running back coach, was recruiting Little Rock in, in most of Arkansas. And he told us that the, I think his ninth grade year or tenth grade year, Darren had come to our camp and he said, we got to keep our eye on this guy. This guy is really special. And, boy, he's tall. He's lean. He can run. And the guy even played quarterback at, a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at one of those years. And so he was he was something. And he could really play probably five or six positions, free safety, outside linebacker, receiver. But in our minds, he was a tailback all the way. So uh, Darren was getting heavily, heavily recruited. But the one thing I felt so good about, Danny would say that uh, Darren had like two sets of parents. And what I mean by that is mom and dad were divorced. They remarried and they were they were really good friends. And so when you had one home visit, he'd go to one home visit on the mom's side. Then he'd go to the other home visit on the dad's side. And he had both families and he had a great relationship with them. And that's so important to have that tie. So Danny did a really good job of recruiting Darren. And Darren really deep down inside wanted to come to Arkansas. But what happens is when the LSUs, Alabamas, Tennessee, Florida, when they start calling, they're all great salesmen. And he could have gone anywhere in the country. But he decided, hey, I'm going to stay at home. And it was a great feeling. And what I like about Darren, he helped us recruit Felix Jones. And and it shows me right there, you know, he's never afraid of, you know, very few people would would help you recruit the same position. And, and, but Darren did, and they became great friends. And so that was a good class. Peyton Hills also was in that group. You got Marcus Monk, you had Casey Dick, you had Jonathan Luigs. I mean, you had some really good athletes uh, in that group. And um, it, of course, Darren McFadden, I'm partial. I thought he should have won the Heisman Trophy at least one of those years. He was back-to-back runner-up. He was the Doak Walker Award winner two years in a row. That means the best running back in the country. And so he was something. He was so explosive, and uh, he loved football. And it was good. You got to keep the great ones at home. Arkansas, you know, we couldn't sign 25. You signed, You had a chance to sign 25 a year. You can't sign 25 athletes in Arkansas. You can't do it. So you have to go out of state. But what's important is the in-state guys are so important, and you got to make sure that you keep especially your great ones. You know, the Matt Jones, Sean Andrews, Darren McFadden, Peyton Hillis, you got to keep those guys at home. So Darren was a, one of the guys that wanted to stay home and he helped us recruit. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a cool story. And you kind of mentioned it. That leads us into our follow-up question there. So, you know, what were your emotions around like those two years he was the runner up and, you know, kind of a second part of that question, do you think he deserved it over Tebow or Smith? You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Kevin Trainer, who was our SID, I thought he did a great job of really trying to help uh, Darren win that award to get him the publicity, to put his stats out there in front of the country. And I really did. I, I really thought he deserved it. I got a lot of respect for Tim Tebow. I really do. But I thought Tim Tebow was a very – he was younger. And if you look at what Darren did, he Darren put us on his back. I can't tell you how many times. And we just – we rode that horse and – you know, again, he would he he would block on kickoff return, and I'm talking about pancake blocks. Uh, he was a tremendous tailback that that was physical. There'd be actually times where Danny would say, "Hey, you don't have to look up linebackers and free safety every run. 
don't be afraid to get out of bounds or, but that wasn't his nature. You know, he would go look them up and he would deliver punishment. Uh, and then we started going, of course, the wild hog where we had him at the direct snap. And that's where his Danny I never will forget. Danny made a really good observation. Gus Malzahn, when we hired him, he was doing a lot of the wildcat and had the motion and different things, but he left the quarterback there. And I never will forget Danny saying, one day, about the third day of two days, he said, you really want to make this wild hog go? I said, what do you got? Darren, Mc, Darren McFadden played a little bit of quarterback in his earlier years. He has great ball skills. That means he can hand it, he can run it, and he can throw it. And so I said, let's look at it. And he went out there the very first day, and it was amazing. And you had Felix Jones coming in motion. And when he comes in motion, it's lightning. And I never will forget what Phil Phil Former said. He said it confused us so much. We had a fast defense, but it slowed him down. And it slowed him down because of that motion of Felix. You had to respect it because he could hand it to him. And he'd be he'd outflank you. And then he would fake that, and we'd run our plays. Power, counter, inside zone. And it happened so quick, but the timing of the thing where Darren would direct it, you got to direct the motion, direct the snap, and then you got to execute. And boy, Darren's so good. And then if you look at the, how many times he threw it, I think he threw it maybe 11, 12, 13, 14. I don't know the exact number, but his completion percentage was phenomenal because they were overpopulating the line of scrimmage. And then it was one on one to Monk or one on one to Peyton Hillis, and they were huge explosive plays. So uh, it was a great idea by Danny and and Darren just took it to another level. But getting back to your question, that's why I thought he deserved it. He really deserved the Heisman Trophy when I thought he's the best player in the country. And he could have beat really Troy Smith the one year or, or, or Tebow. I thought Tebow really was young enough where they could have gave it to him. He had two more years to get it. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is, the way it, way it falls. But, uh, I'm, again, I'm partial. Yeah, I got a quick follow-up just to that. I mean, obviously, I, I agree with you. I thought, especially that year that Tebow won it over him, I thought McFadden was easily the most versatile and most valuable player in college football. So two different MVP uh, kind of type acronyms there. I, I definitely thought he should have won it. But I, we've talked about it in some previous episodes. Do you think just the university that he was affiliated with, maybe not being quite as a high tier of like a Florida or Ohio State, the two guys, universities that that won it over him, do you think that had an impact? I think it, I think it probably hurt us a little bit. That's where I thought Kevin Trainer had done such a good job with the sports information department of really getting it out to the West Coast, East Coast, the ones that hadn't seen us play to really zero in on what he did stat-wise, you know, and how many times he carried the ball. And he got better, say he carried the ball the 10th carry. Well, the 15th carry, he was better than the 10th. The 20th carry, he's better than the 15th, 16th, 17th. He got stronger as the game went on. And if you go back to the last game we coached, it was in Baton Rouge. And that's where I thought he should have he deserved I thought he won it that night. We, we beat the number one team in the country in their backyard, in three overtimes, and Darren McFadden had about, I, I don't know, he, he had a lot to do with it. <laughs> I don't know how many points he scored that night, but he had a lot to do with it. And that's where I thought uh, the the injustice of maybe not being that just household blue bud name, maybe that hurt us a little bit. But as far as on the field production, he deserved it. Yeah, I, I think we all agree with that for sure, especially our listeners agree with that, but. 
I, uh, I think he was pushing almost 300 yards that night of that game. Yeah. I, I remember that. Right. It was right. like 280-something. It's I, He definitely brought the wood that night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No question. And so kind of moving on to nowadays, so what are your thoughts on the Arkansas program right now, kind of where it was when you left and where it's headed now? Uh, when I left, you know, just kind of looking from afar, you know, I didn't think uh, – they were recruiting Arkansas the correct way. I think it's very important that you have to recruit Arkansas the right way. It's easy to say, I'm going to go to Texas or Louisiana or Alabama, Florida and get players. And they may be three, four, five stars better. Uh, but if you go back and look at the history of Arkansas, the best teams, when we won three Western titles, if you look at it, the predominantly the, the offensive line and defensive line in the trenches were Arkansas guys. And the key opponents, when you look at Darren McFadden, look at Matt Jones, you look at different guys, Sean Andrews, these guys really raised the level of, of, of the Texas five-star guys. And so I, I just think looking back, I, I thought the recruiting had failed because I, I didn't see the speed. The one thing about SEC, you've got to be able to run in all, in all positions. Um, I really like what Coach Pittman's doing now. I really like um, – I don't know him uh, personally, but I just – from looking from afar, you know, the attitude, the players seem like they really want to play for him. I think that's important. And the way he's recruiting, if you just look at the things that he's done, I, I like the, the you know, his formula. And everybody has a, a different formula, different blueprint. And Arkansas is one of those jobs, it's – it's you're sitting in the SEC, and it's it's – to me, it's the toughest conference in America by far. It is. And so what does that mean? Well, when you play against Georgia, they get to, they could they could sign twenty five players from Georgia if they wanted to, and that's how re, uh, rich and deep the fertile grounds are of recruiting. LSU they could sign twenty five players in their backyard. Arkansas is a little bit disadvantaged because we can't sign twenty five true SEC caliber players. Now, I always try to make that number twelve. Maybe there were three great ones like a Darren McFadden, Matt Jones, Sean Andrews. I would go take, you know, up probably more guys, say a guy was on the line, but he grew up wanting to be a hog. Bo Lacey comes to mind. He was from Newport. Wasn't highly recruited, but he was tough. And if you don't know Arkansas, you say, right, let's go get a, a lineman from Texas who's a three-star, four-star instead of the two-star. And that's where I don't go by stars. I go by heart, effort, attitude. And a guy like Bo Lacey and Jerry Wright, Dan Doty, guys like that, they weren't household names coming out of high school. But if you look what they accomplished, unbelievable. But they had the heart of a Razorback. And they raised the level of the teammates, especially the outsiders, what I say, when I say a, a young man coming in from Florida and coming in from Georgia, and they say, oh, that's how a Razorback practices. That's how a Razorback goes about business. You know, there's something about a homegrown person that understands the state and has this heart of fight and win and do anything for your teammate. The others, they join in. And so I think that's important. I think it's important, but you got to have speed and you got to have difference makers on both sides. And so the good thing about Arkansas right now, you look at KJ Jefferson, I always go by the quarterback who's coming back. That gives us an upper hand when you got a guy like KJ Jefferson who has experience. And so the next thing I always look at is the lineman. I look at the linemen, the depth of offensive line, defensive line. You got to have a pass rusher in this league, a guy that can get off the edge and can create havoc. You got to be strong up the middle, linebacker, free safety. So 
it's a balancing act of recruiting and it's not easy. And especially in today's world with the portal, with NIL, it's a whole different world now. And so, yeah, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy, but um, I, I like what uh, Coach Pittman's doing. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead here on on some of the some of the notes that we had listed. Um, you kind of mentioned it there at the end of your comment around the NIL and the transfer portal. We've we've talked about it on a few episodes previously. How we, in fr- from our perspective, just being fans, um, to us it almost seems like it's probably beneficial more for the players um, than it ever used to be. The way they don't have to sit out a year. Obviously, the way they're able to make money off their likeness. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's tremendously more beneficial for them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, we've kind of tried to toss around the idea that it's actually beneficial for universities like Arkansas, where you get the opportunity to go out and get some guys of the transfer portal that were five-star talents at Alabama, for example. You know, the one we, we've talked about a lot is Drew Sanders played at Alabama, started there, was a tremendous linebacker, got hurt, kind of not, got knocked out of his starting role, comes to Arkansas and has – a tremendous year that definitely affected his draft stock. That process probably wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. Um, so are, is, do you kind of feel the same way that it's, it's more beneficial for programs like Arkansas and just kind of what are your overall thoughts on the, the NIL and the transfer portal way that works now compared to, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I look at it a couple of different ways. One, I've always voted when I went to the Destin every year, we go to Destin for SEC coaches meeting. I've always, I wanted players to have money. And I, as a player, as a Razorback 1976, I didn't know that I got a laundry check. I, I asked Ken Turner, the guy that recruited me, Coach Turner, what's this check I got? It's $6.25. That's your laundry check. It says laundry, but you can do whatever you want with it. So I said, that was great. So I got a $2 hamburger. I got $2 worth of gas, $2 movie ticket. I'm, I'm set. That's wonderful. So I wanted players to have money. What I don't like about the NIL is this. There's going to be probably one, two, and I say less than five that can really make money in, in what I call name and likeness. And so it, it, it's, the, it's the left tackle. Let's, say, let's just say Darren McFadden. Darren McFadden, if he was in this world today, it'd be over a million, point, 1.5 over maybe two. Why? Because everybody wants him. Everybody would want him. Tyson, uh, Walmart, uh, I don't Stevens, you can go all car dealerships. They'd all want him, right? But then what I would have a problem with, there'd be somebody knocking on my door on Monday, uh, a left tackle coach. I blocked for Darren McFadden. Can I get a deal? And cost of attendance was one of the things that I, I believed in. I thought that would be great because they still get that cost of attendance anywhere from five, six thousand dollars, depending on the school. Each player gets that amount of money. That's a good sum of money. And everybody gets it. But the NIL is a little bit different. And I just I just think it disrupts it's gonna it can disrupt the locker room. And what I mean by that is uh let's say Darren McFadden was getting such, I'm sure Felix Jones would want something. And then Peyton Hillis would want something. Where, where's his? And so you, you start getting in that, and all of a sudden it's NFL. It's not true college. It's NFL. And then, oh, by the way, now don't forget, you got to pay some taxes now. And so I don't know. It To me, it's it's. I can't wait. I got my popcorn and Coke. I'm on the sideline. I'm, I'm watching how all this turns out, how it plays out, because I think it's very, very hard. And then you add the transfer portal. Now, the transfer portal, you mentioned Drew Sanders. 
what an unbelievable player and how he, he helped Arkansas, no question. What I don't like about the portal, and I've helped a lot of people transfer. When things don't work out, I want them to. But when things – let me give you a great example. Chick-fil-A, May 1st, last year, I'm in Atlanta playing a Chick-fil-A golf charity tournament, and I'm riding with Randy uh, Edsel. And in this cart's Rick Neuheisel and Pat Narducci, the head coach of Pittsburgh. And we're getting ready to tee off on hole number one. Pat Narducci says, guys, go ahead and tee off. I can't tee off. And I could tell by the look on his face something's wrong. So we get to the second hole. He says, go ahead. Keep going. He's still on that phone. And so by the third hole, I said, Pat, what's wrong? And he says, I, my best player, a guy named Addison, who was a receiver, a Blitnikoff Award winner at Pittsburgh. Things are going great, right? He's at USC visiting, and he's telling his coach through his agent, if you don't have certain certain amount of money, I think it's a million something. If you don't have a million dollars, I've got to transfer. You just won the Blitnikoff Award. So it, it's that kind of deal. Or if a coach yells at me today, I'm going to put my name in a transfer portal. It, it The teaching of perseverance, and, and again, I get it after a year or two, if things aren't working out, great. I understand. I'll help you transfer. But – it's a little quick and we missed some life lessons and I just think it's a, it's a different, it's a different world, you know? And the other thing to look at is it used to be back when I was coaching, Hey, let's keep the alumni away from our players. No boosters giving money to players. Now we got to get the boosters to the players. We got to collect, we got to have collectives. And then we say, well, let's keep our agents away from the players. And now we said, now, now you got to have agents with the players. I mean, it's, it's totally a 180. It's a totally different, different world. And so as a coach, you have to embrace it. You have to go attack it because if you don't, uh, the other teams are going to do it. So it's just a different world and you got to, you got to go live with it. Yeah, that's some, that's some good insight on, you know, how that is. And, you know, it, it brings us a, a, you know, a different perspective than like Seth said earlier, we as fans don't understand like from that coaching perspective of how, how that really affects. So, you know, that's a, a good take. And so kind of going off some of the changes that are happening, you know, what are your thoughts on everything that's happening with the, the college football playoff expansion? What do you, you know, where do you see that going and affecting different programs, specifically SEC programs? Yeah, you know, it looks like everything's going to a superpower. You know, when they first told me Oklahoma and Texas, they're joining the SEC, I thought that was an April Fool's joke, or how how could that be? How could these two brand names that are in the Big 12, and remember now, Oklahoma had been going to the playoff. They've been making the Final Four. Why would you want to move, from, move out of the Big 12 to the SEC? And, of course, it's all about money. And SEC is a powerhouse. And so now you've taken two brand names that are going to come over to the SEC. I can't wait to see this because these are two quality programs. Now, Texas has been a little down, uh, but they have tradition. Oklahoma has great tradition. So they're going, their fans expect them to win. So you got these super conferences to me. You can tell everybody's kind of jockeying. And so now the Big Ten, what they do? Oh, okay. We're gonna go get USC and UCLA. We're gonna go get those guys. And so you see, you see the movement now. You see how the landscape's going. It's like, whoa, they're already up to what 16 teams over here. They're getting a powerhouse over here. So it looks like 
it's the superpowers. You know, you're trying to go for this this game of superpower, and and also in the playoff world, you can see it's coming. More teams are fixed to be at it. Won't be just four for long. Very soon, it's going to be eight. It's going to be twelve. I don't know what the number will be, but you can bet this: it's going to be more than four. I'm kind of excited for that, frankly. I think it'll add a level of competition. <laughs> see, and, see, right, uh, right there. I'm sorry to interrupt, but right there is exactly the way the fans feel. Because the fans want to see, they don't want to see in November um, Arkansas playing. I don't know, you know. My my my, I love my school, Murray State. Let's just say, for example, Murray State. Now, I like for Murray State to keep playing because they're that's the only way you know they make payroll to be able to pay for things. They need that check. So, my point is, the fans don't get excited about that. They're like you. Hey, look, we're going to see Arkansas play Texas. We're going to see Arkansas play Oklahoma. You know, this is going to be phenomenal. And they can't wait for nine conference games, SEC conference games, and more the better, you know. So, and now you add the playoff, add those games. Wow, it's going to be a packed house wherever you go. Yeah, I can, I completely agree with that. I I think that's one thing that that college football has been needing in a, in a sense around the playoff. Um I'm not going to say give it that kind of March Madness feel, but you, you might would get a little bit more of that kind of anticipation around the playoff if you have more opportunities for some of the, you know, the number 10, number eight teams in the nation to kind of have that chance to maybe pull off an upset in a playoff scenario. We haven't really gotten that in the college football world ever, essentially, right. other than just, you know, exhibition games throughout the season, especially if it's between different conferences. Um, so, I will be excited, I think, for playoff expansion. Um, going back to Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC, I, I'm kind of with you. I was a little bit shocked that that happened. I, I knew everybody kind of was from Oklahoma and Texas was wanting that to happen just from the TV deals and, and just the money that's involved. But I was actually surprised that it actually came to fruition. We were talking earlier in, in uh, some different episodes, actually, around the, the schedule that got released just – the excitement potential around being able to kind of restore the Texas rivalry, potentially um, some things like that are things to be excited for, but it's definitely, like you said, changing the college football landscape. Yeah. You know, anytime, you know, I grew up watching Arkansas, Texas. So the Southwest conference, that was a big deal. And I remember as, as a little boy going to little rock, people, you know, didn't get all excited about some games, but I can tell you this, they got real excited with Texas. The big mighty Texas was coming to town. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's that feeling of, man, this is good on good. This is great versus great. This is tradition. And it's going to be at a, at a very high level. And so, you know, that's what people, that's what they want to see. And so it, it's, it's for sure. It, it's, it's coming. It's on its way. And, you know, y'all hit it, uh, the nail on the head. That's that's exactly, to me, the direction that it's going. Yeah, I can just remember seeing, you know, when they announced that a lot of the older generation, you know, my even my father was, you know, said that Texas matchup is going to appeal to a lot of that older generation that remembers those big clashes of the Southwestern Conference. And then, you know, they're going to be telling their this generation about it. And I think it's just going to, kind of reignite that um, rivalry there. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And just like your father and my father and uncles, I mean, that's all they used to talk about. 
you know, and I remember him start calling those hogs early in the week when a big game was getting ready to happen. And so there's, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of excitement there. I'm just, I'm just curious to see how uh, Oklahoma and Texas, how they handle this. I call it the grind when you're in the grind of it. You know, one, I had a person, I was in the airport going to CBS and they said, Hey coach, I don't know about the SEC, not that tough. You know, so-and-so beat Georgia in a bowl game three years ago or something. I said, yeah, that's pretty good. He had 25 days to get ready for it. Here's my question to you, though, sir. How would your team do if they played Alabama, um, came back home and played LSU, then they had to go on the road to play Florida, then they come back and play Arkansas, back to back to back to back. That, to me – is different than saying getting ready for a bowl game, 25 days, let's get fresh, and, boy, we beat a good team. That's great. Yeah, you did. But the grind of the SEC is where, boy, I tell you what, you got to be a little lucky, stay out of the uh, training room, keep them healthy, and that's what makes the road in the SEC very, very difficult. I was about to say, that reminds me. That's why they say, like, you know, some of the games over the past years, you know, teams have that Alabama hangover. The week after they play Alabama, you know, that's an extremely physical game. That next week, you know, you're going to see a little, you know, hangover effect from that. No question about it. No question about it. And and I remember Nick Saban always saying uh, to me, I always felt good about it, except when he beat us. But at the 50-yard line, he said before the game, he'd always say, Every time we play you guys, I can always count on this. There's going to be a lot of players in the in the training room. And you know, I felt good when he said that because I felt like, you know, our guys, we, we're fixing to bring the hat. We're going to we're going to play hard, no doubt about it. And um that's that's the thing about this league. The stadiums are full uh and these the teams, the the athleticism is is at a very high level. I think uh one thing that kind of has Arkansas fans hyped up, especially to, to get Texas and and uh, Oklahoma in the SEC. Just the, the obviously the potential for more conference games. I know it's not going to happen in twenty twenty four. They I think they're still on the eight game schedule, right. eight, game, eight conference game schedule. But there's potential for more later. Um, just just the fact that we don't have a pro team in the state, having more hype and big level games like that you know is just that much more to be excited for which you know it's kind of something to be searched for in Arkansas with no pro teams so everything kind of lives and dies by the Razorbacks I know A-State's got a pretty good program and a lot of fans over in the Jonesboro neck of the woods love them but I think the majority of the rest of the state's pretty dead set on the hogs and that's about it you know there may be fans of other pro teams from different states but I think that's one of the reasons why fans are so excited just for some of these big matchups to be back and maybe have potential for one extra big one each year. A great, great man said, Frank Burroughs used to always tell me that there's nothing like having this one team in the state without a professional team. And just what you just got through saying, every coffee shop, every little store, the conversation at the cooler is going to be about those Razorbacks. And so there was a sense of pride for we're playing such and such this week. We got to be ready. And they know their names and heights and weights. And it's that feeling of togetherness of just one. It's one little old state. We don't have a, an NFL team. We got these Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah. And so that kind of leads in, you know, from your perspective, what are your thoughts, expectations, or kind of preview of 
the Hawks for this upcoming season? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I look at the schedule, and I, I always love looking – I get, always get excited about July because I always think about going to August. That's when you eat, sleep, football, you have your two-a-days. Or we did have real t- – two, not so much two-a-days anymore nowadays. But, you know, you think about it, you look at that schedule, I think the schedule is really in the Razorbacks' uh, favor because I look at the non-conference. Those are four winnable, gettable, must-wins. Win those four. And then – when I look at Mississippi, I look at Auburn, Mississippi State, Missouri, those are four gettable games again. And so you, I, it's always one, you know, you take one at a time. I get that. But say I'm not coaching anymore, so I can look at the whole thing now. And as I look down, as I look down that schedule, I see eight. I see nine. I mean, the ball bounces right. I can see ten. So – I just, I just think I, I've, I've done a lot of research on some other schools. I always look at who has the quarterback back. Well, guess what? Arkansas has their quarterback back. And with experience, there's something about the point guard when you have a quarterback who knows how to distribute, who knows how to get you out of the wrong play, get you in the right play, takes care of the ball, and he can move. You know, if, if something breaks down, he can escape. This guy's – KJ's hard to bring down. And he he saves you first downs. And what I mean by he keeps you on the field. So important. And so if you get a defense that can go get turnovers, and I'm not saying you have to make three and outs uh, over and over and over, but if you can make them go the long, hard way and then get the ball back and then win special teams, I look at that schedule. I mean, it's to me it's a good schedule that can be a, a great, great year. That's kind of been our thought too. We've talked to we're blue in the face about it, um, but it's it's definitely going to be an exciting year. I think there's a lot of hype, especially with KJ and Rocket Sanders returning. You've kind of got two big faces to really build your offense around. Just kind of, I think there's a lot of uh, speculation around wide receivers and tight ends, kind of the way they're going to work into the offense with uh, Dan Enos being back as the coordinator. But I I know just talking to to my buddies, different fans, things like that. Everybody's really excited and kind of is in your your same boat. If the ball bounces the right way in just a couple of these games, mm-hmm. the A&M game is one that sticks out to me, can really be a, a tide turner um, kind of on the whole season. I, I, I really felt like it was last year. The ball didn't bounce our way that game, and it, and it seemed like it really had an effect on the rest of the year, which is conjecture on my part, but it just seems like certain situations like that can really have a major impact. I, I think you hit it to me. If I had to sum it up, you go back and look at that game. Arkansas jumped out on them. But then all of a sudden, if you go and look, I can't remember what series it was, but it, there was a turnaround. And they get the ball somehow either on a turnover or something, and it, it just changed the whole game. And that game to me, because Texas A&M, when you look at the, what they did the rest of the year, they weren't all that. And so you look at that over and over, that's a mindset like we should have won, we should have won. In Jerry's world, we should have won that game. That's all you can think about, and you replay it, and sometimes that hurts you for the next game. And so I agree with you. I think it kind of, you know, decided really the year. So that's a game where if things like that, those are the ones you know you got to win, and then, boy, you snowball off that. And that goes the other way. And But then when you don't win that, now is when – Boy, some negativity can creep in, and now you get a few more in the injured in the in in the training room, and 
I confess it's your fault. You know, it's 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 a bad feeling, man. But uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I think Texas A&M that was a critical time of the season because I thought we we're getting ready to go up twenty-one nothing, and game's over. Game's over, and we knew that you know after watching, I said I just don't think A&M is is just all that right now. And and look what they did the rest of the year. They weren't. So it'll be interesting now with. With Bobby Petrino, let's see what he does with that quarterback, their offense with, with Jimbo Fisher. How's that going to go? You remember now, Jimbo Fisher was a play caller for a long time. Now. We went against him. He was an offense coordinator for uh, LSU with uh, Nick Saban. We played against him. So that's what's going to be interesting to me is see how that go, goes. You know, Can you get a couple of cooks in the kitchen there? Are they going to work together? You know, Because that's a lot of times, you know, there's one cook that says, hey, I'm doing the cooking and get out of the kitchen. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes, uh, especially when Jimbo's been calling a, uh, the offense for a long, long time. But uh, I, I live around a lot of Aggies where I live. I live in McKinney, Texas. And I'm going to tell you, they expect wins, man. They expect when They're paying that coach a lot of money, and they expect Ws. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. And so kind of a, an outside perspective, because you, you were there when he was there. You know, I know a lot of people have comparisons, but what is your thought? Do you see flashes of McFadden and a guy like Rocket Sanders? Do you think he's comparable and, you know, the way he plays ball? Like, do you think he's a guy that you could see as a good comparison and nowadays to how McFadden played? Yeah. The, the thing about Darren, what you have to understand, Darren, Darren was a home run hitter. And what I mean by that is he could go 80 yards in the SEC. Now, I don't think Rocket can do that consistently, but I do see Rocket doing this. I, I do think he has the ability to make people miss. I think he's a very hard runner. I, I think he I think he's fast. I don't think he's a home run fast. And and that's where Darren was different. Darren was different because you look at LSU, you can look at Tennessee, Alabama, you can look at a lot of games, and and very few people can go 70, 80 against athletes that run 4-4 and he he can and he could and he did and so that's to me the difference hard you got to be careful uh, again because I've seen Darren every single day since ninth grade and especially in college and I know how fast and electric he is but Rocket is impressive I like what he what the way he plays the game I like what he gives Arkansas and, and he's tough and again, I think he he has some to me explosive plays in him. He has explosive. He's the kind of guy that can go get twenty five, go get thirty yards, go get forty, and I think he can do that. And um, gotta have it. You gotta have that that running back. And then KJ can take pressure off him by being able to get the ball down the field where they got to defend both. When you 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 just can't be one handed. You just can't be all run or you can't be all pass. You just can't. You got to be able to 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 mix things up and keep the defense off balance. And that's where Rocket Sanders helps KJ. KJ that helps Rocket. And that's what I think he brings Arkansas some explosive plays. I think I'd agree with that. I, I think in in recent memory, at least to me, I'm very young. Um the the one running back over the last, you know, five, six, seven years that really reminded me of McFadden was uh, Leonard Fournette at Florida. Didn't mm -hmm. have the passing, you know, that McFadden did, just the way he ran, kind of had the similar body style, a little bit more of a taller running back. 
just looked like McFadden in ways. And the way he was, I think he had one year, especially where he was extremely dominant at LSU. And he reminded me of McFadden in ways, but I, I, I would love to say rocket is comparable, but I I'm kind of with you on the fact that I don't think he's the 80 yard home run hitter that McFadden seemed like anytime he touched the ball. I know Matt Jones was kind of in that same realm in my mind. <laughs> Any given play, it felt like you just never knew when he was just going to burn one and take it to the house and just you could just sit on your hands nearly. It was, it was so antsy feeling anytime they had the ball in their hands. That's right. That's right. They're, they were fun. They were, they were fun to watch, and they were electric now. And they, they could make it happen. The thing about Darren, on Sundays we'd do special teams meetings where we'd always show the special teams film to, to the whole team because we wanted everybody to see the effort of kickoff team, kickoff return team and all that. When Darren would come in, he would punch me on the way in to the meeting room. As we'd, I'd be by the door, he'd say, watch my block. He wouldn't say watch my run or watch this, watch my block. And he, you'd see him block for Felix Jones and he would pancake the guy on the kickoff return. And to me, that's what an All-American is. The one that's unselfish, that's not always hard about give me the ball, give me the ball. He's saying, watch my block. And so that's what you want. You want that kind of player and that kind of unselfishness. And when, when you don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing what a team can do when you have that team. That's what you love about football. It's the greatest game in the world because, you know, it's not tennis. I love tennis. I love golf. But it's individual. You know, it's an individual deal. And team, it takes 11. And, boy, when you have those guys that can make it happen, wow. Definitely exciting, that's for sure. Well, uh, we've just got one more question for you here before we wrap up. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your evening with us. But kind of walk us back down memory lane real quick one more time and and kind of take us a run through what your favorite game to coach at Arkansas was, if you have a specific favorite game that sticks out to you. I, I've got I got several. You know, it's hard to say one. I got several. Um, going back to what you said earlier about Arkansas, Texas, uh, when, in 2000, uh, that first group I coached, the 98 group in 2000, we played Texas in the Cotton Bowl. And we hadn't won a bowl game in 15 years. And all week long, guess who the honorary captains are? Frank Burles and Daryl Royal, two heroes of mine. And I was so nervous thinking, oh, man, I just don't want to embarrass the state. I just want to go compete against this mighty Texas team, you know. And, boy, Clint Sterner put on a show. Our defense was so fast. Anthony Lucas gets us out of the hole. And, uh, Clint throws him a minus one-inch line, um, a hitch and go, and we change ends of the field, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, Matt Jones played in the longest games in the world. When I say overtime, I'm talking about real overtime now. This overtime they do now is not real overtime to me. Overtime, seven overtimes twice. Once in Oxford versus Eli Manning. Matt Jones was a freshman, puts on a show. And you got Jason Peters and Sean Andrews on the right side doing a great, unbelievable job. Our defense, Jermaine Petty, and these guys. Jermaine Petty made the, really the, the game-winning tackle there at the end. And it was back and forth. And that was seven long overtime. Same thing in Lexington. Go to Lexington, play against uh, Jared uh, Lorenzen. Lorenzo. I, I think he passed. I really hate that. I had a lot of respect for him. Big old talented guy, left-handed guy. 
that was a huge game on the road. Kentucky and Little Rock, Tim Couch, they got us down by about 21-7 or something, and our guys show such character. David Barrett intercepts the ball, takes it back to get us started, and, man, we beat them. And then the last game that we coached was uh, was LSU. I always love playing LSU because it's always around Thanksgiving. And um, I think about LSU, I think about two games. I think about LSU, the the game that uh, Matt Jones hits Richard Smith. We got – it's 20 to 14, about a minute left. CBS, Thanksgiving weekend in Little Rock. And Matt – Hits a perfect spiral to Richard Smith. Then he finds to Corey Birmingham in the corner of the end zone. That gets us to Atlanta. That was huge. And then that last game that we coached, uh, Darren McFadden, Casey Dick, Jonathan Louise, Marcus Monk. Our defense was flying around, and it was a three-overtime win. That was the number one team in the country. And they go on and win the national championship after we beat them in their backyard. So – there's a couple of games that keep me up at night, though. The one is the Tennessee game in 1998. Oh, we out, we outplayed him for 58 minutes. We we oh we had that game wrapped up, trying to run out the clock, and they go on and win the national championship. And that's why I know that we were good enough to win the national title in 1998. That that was the the Sterner fumble game, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Gosh, dude. And, and I, like I said, I was five years old, and I even remember yeah. that feeling at five years old. Yeah. It, it, it's a tough feeling. But what people don't realize is how much character and courage Clint Sterner had because he came back the next year, and we won by the same score. We got beat 28-24 in Knoxville. Guess what, guys? Fayetteville, same group, T. Martin and the guys, Tennessee. Phil Fulmer brings his group to Fayetteville. Uh, that goalpost was taken down to Dixon Street with a 28-24 victory. And Clint Sterner to Anthony Lucas on a post play. Woo, beautiful. And then the last game with Coach was the three-overtime victory versus LSU. And that was an unbelievable game. That, that was that was sweet. But the, I'm sorry. The second I, I got mixed up. The second one that keeps me up at night is the championship game in, in Atlanta. We got Florida beat. We got Urban Myers team beat. I mean, we're beating them physically. We're outsmarting them. And we fumble a punt. We the game changes. Had them. But those two, Tennessee and the Florida game is the one. Those two keep you up. The other 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 ones are it's it's hard for me to say that's the, my favorite game because I got about five or six, seven of them. Yeah, that's thank you for walking down memory lane. Oh, my bad, Caleb, but that that's great to hear that that side of things from the coach, man. I remember a lot of those games just growing up, and you know, being a kid, you don't really grasp the the gravity of some of those games when they're happening. You get you know you're a fan and all that, you know, especially as a kid. But looking back on those things, you know, just knowing what I know now, being as big of a fan as I am now, you know, man, those those games had a lot of gravity to them that I didn't appreciate. Right. And so it's it's awesome to hear your take on those games. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And so as we wrap up here, like Seth said, we, you know, we've said before, we thank you for taking the time out to talk with us. You know, we, you know, a lot of fans are probably going to, you know, enjoy hearing this and hearing, you know, some in-depth, talk with you so you know we just appreciate your time Seth you got anything else before we wrap up here I'm good like I said man we, we really appreciate you coming on the show this is this is huge for us and definitely a, a big step for us so we're we're excited to have you on really appreciate you, you taking your time you bet guys enjoyed it it's good questions yeah thank, thank you. you sir
Have a great right. evening, Coach Nutt. Y'all too. See y'all. See ya. So that was our Hog Talk segment with Coach Houston Nutt. You know, a great conversation with him. So get your when you get a chance, you know, give this episode a listen. It's a good one. So don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And thank you for listening to today's episode of Wool Big Weekly. We'll be back right here next week.